it's the next level. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or rumbarellas in their midst. Welcome to another episode of Still Afraid of the Dark. From the Next Level Podcast Network, I am one of your hosts, Rob Martin, from also DC Primetime and the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods. Joining me as always, Ben Beck. Your 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 delightful co-host. Your delightful, and I use, delightful I use co-host. delightful loosely. <laughs> <laughs> I use it loosely. So we're doing this one a little different. So this one's just you and me. I because you know what? We we didn't have an opportunity to do that. And we maybe will close out the same way for the season. It's really gonna de- depend. It's it's very, very tricky this time of the year to also grab people, but we thought it'd be really great for us to have the opportunity for just you and I to just kind of roll into one of these together. Especially for these two, because man, these two are two of my favorites. But before yeah. that, before that though, we do need to talk about today's drink. Uh, so today's drink is actually called the Frau Bluka. <laughs> so, or actually Bluker, really specifically. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, but it's uh, it's one of my interesting favorites. I think there is a drink that does exist that's somewhat similar to it. But uh, this is essentially is a small twist on the Manhattan. Um, this is actually taking usually bourbon uh, or rye. Normally, a Manhattan is made with rye, so I prefer rye for this drink. Uh, but again, when we show you the video, we do indeed use traditional just um, you know bourbon, which is perfectly fine. So you would use about two ounces of bourbon in this drink. Uh, we are going to be using some vermouth and just a little bit of the Lasardo, which is the again traditional maraschino cherry liqueur. Because again, a traditional um, you know you're just having. You know, vermouth, a little bit of bitters, uh, you know, whiskey. And then, again, uh, you have a cherry just in for your your mix. But this, I thought it would be a fun way to add in the liquor instead. So the balance is a little bit different, but check out the video for it to see how to make that. And, again, of course, we do use a little bit of bitters. And I had a little added, a little twist to it. And, again, bear in mind, this is a punchy drink. This is strong. It's intense. uh, So it's really more for the people that like more kind of traditional cocktails. Uh, because the last part of this drink is the glass is washed in absinthe. So it's got a little bit of that anise flavor to it as well. But really, really interesting. Uh, not for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> you know, it is one of those ones. If you're a person that does not like the taste of alcohol, this is not the drink for you. Not um, not at all. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is actually what this is a, a really fun, different one. And I thought it was really funny to call it uh, call it a German name with nothing German re- remotely inside <laughs> the drink nothing, at all. Absolutely nothing German in the drink. Because I thought it was really fitting because everybody always jokes because the whole Frau Bluka thing 
everybody says, oh, that just means glue. You know, Blucher means glue or Blucher means glue in German, which it doesn't. That was actually something <laughs> that people <laughs> joked about on the set of Young Frankenstein and the tale continued on. And a lot of people thought that this was that just purely Mel Brooks trying to screw with people. Well, um, but it also it also makes sense, too, if you think about it, because that's why you get the horse whinny every time you say it. Right, but it has, it really is not the case at all. It is no. purely it <laughs> was purely Mel Brooks and, and Gene Wilder are like, what sounds German? That sounds good. Let's just go with that. And the reason for the horses was can, the traditional over-the-top crash of lightning. And I said, what if we did that every time? But instead of doing a crash of lightning, it was like a horse, like a, the horse is winning. <laughs> and it just turned into this long-running joke. And originally, you know, Mel thought it was just kind of something dumb and didn't want to do. Uh, and he was just kind of like, you know what? Screw it. The audience apparently loves it and thinks it's hysterical. Let's just add a few more of them in and they just kept going for it. So, but that's but where think it goes. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we, you know, we mentioned the drink. We mentioned, we mentioned one of the movies that we're talking yeah. about, but we haven't mentioned the name of this chapter and the, the other movie that we're going to be discussing this. Week. Yeah. So this, this one episode. we call the tale of the classics. And the reason we're doing that is because we're talking about a lot of classic monsters, but just in a very different way. So our first movie, as we mentioned already, is Young Frankenstein. But the second is a near and dear favorite of mine from 1987. The Might Monst- as well. Monster Squad. So again, I figured that was the best title for a, uh, for an episode quite like this. Uh, so why don't you take us into our first movie? And I figure the best one to do is let's start with Young Frankenstein. Uh, because again, we kind of seem like we do these in order of release. So let's just go for it. Okay. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Young Frankenstein is the first movie we're going to be discussing this week. Back from 1974, uh, a Mel Brooks classic. I mean, as you know, we mentioned Tale of the Classics, but classic is used in a couple of different ways this time when it comes to discussing these two movies. You know, the classic monsters, but classic movies at the same time. Uh, writers, you know, written by both Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks, and you have two absolutely genius comedic minds behind this movie um and this is a a big favorite of mel brooks fans uh when it comes to his movies young frankenstein usually tops many people's lists when it comes to this movie oh absolutely and it's crazy to think that this movie is 50 years old uh it's it's so but it, it but it feels older I mean, the way it's shot in that classic black and white, uh, you know, it's made to feel like one of those classic like 1930s, 1940s monster monster movies. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's in essence what it's spoofing. But it's I mean, yes, it's old in a sense that it's 50 plus years old, but it's 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 shot to feel even older than that. Well, the beautiful thing is, too, that they add to this movie, and I think it's not something that's commonly known from a lot of people, is the actual laboratory equipment that they use in Young, and Frank, Young Frankenstein is the original one from the original Frankenstein film. I had no idea. Yeah, they actually were able to get a hold of it, so they're using all of it. So everything that was still around is in the scenes for the lab. It is all the original stuff, which is what adds something really special to this movie. So, yeah, it's it's really kind of something that's just awesome trivia and knowledge for, for this film that adds something really special to such a silly concept and a silly idea. So well, I, mean, I if love you, it. If- 
if you look at Mel's history when it comes to these movies and it comes to, I mean, they are comedies and in and, and many ways they are spoof films, not to the sense of like scary movie or, you know, not another teen movie or whatever. But he is, in essence, spoofing a, a genre when he creates these movies or spoofing not necessarily a genre, but a, a specific movie. You know, you have Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is a spoof of Robin Hood. Young Frankenstein is a spoof of Frankenstein Spaceballs was a spoof of Star Wars he's very you know those spoof movies that I mentioned before kind of take in stride everything from a genre whereas Mel kind of hones it in and finds one particular thing about that genre to to spoof and you know mentioned using the equipment from the original Frankenstein uh, I think is an amazing touch to this movie that I that, that just adds to it and it was something that I didn't even know but you know you look at you know, history of the world and you look at uh, blazing saddles, like the sets that he uses are pretty authentic. Yeah. He, I mean, when again, it comes to that. Mel Brooks always, I, he was, again, he, he's just such an amazing. Not was, he is. is. He's still alive. <laughs> well, I, I say, I mean, was in the uh, the way that yeah. the fact that he hasn't made a movie in quite some time, you know, um, yeah, but he, he truly is this fantastic just director that had just this great, brilliant mind for comedy and just the way to play around with things and shoot things. And it's, this is still though, to this day, one of the best comedies ever created. But I mean, it's funny that we talk about this in, in, for a Halloween one, but I think it's a great introduction to the character of, you know, Franken, uh, Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster, because it, it is that same story, but just done in a really wonderful twisted way. Um, because there are some of those scenes that feel like they're lifted from the original films just beautifully uh, in just different tiny little ways. But it's so great that the way that they just twist the humor to the scenes and play them wonderfully. I mean, I, I, I truly, truly love this film. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those ones that, I, it, you know, over the course of the chapters that we've been recording, there have been a number of movies we've gone back to revisit that I haven't seen in a while. And Young Frankenstein is one that... It hasn't been decades since I've seen it, but it's been at least a good six, seven years since I've watched this movie. Um, it's, you know, it, it's a movie of Mel's that I love, but I tend to go back to other movies of Mel's first. I tend to go back to Spaceballs and and Robin Hood and such. I mean, even Blazing Saddles is one. It's been longer for me that I've seen that than it has been Young Frankenstein. But going back and revisiting this movie, it's so much fun because there are jokes that obviously I remember because they're so timeless when it comes to this movie. There are jokes that I for, that I remembered after I saw them because I mean, there, it's, there's three different types of jokes. There's the jokes that I remember even having not seen the movie in years. There's jokes that I remembered because I was reminded of them and I saw it. And there, there are jokes in this movie that I completely forgot about until rewatching this movie. Well, I mean, and one of the things, too, I think that's fantastic with Young Frankenstein. I know it sets up jokes we see in later Mel Brooks films. The first yes. time that they appear like... Wasn't your hump on the other side? What hump? It, well, it's, 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 it's the mole scene from, you know, everybody remembers from Robin Hood Men in Tights, but like. It, it I have a mole? Yeah, it appeared here, you know, like it, it's, but I love the fact that it was a really great way to honor somebody like Marty Feldman, you know, who is just, just, just such a fantastic part of this cast because well, he is, it, he is, he was so amazing in this. It's funny enough, too, that you mentioned that hump scene, because apparently from what I've read, that hump scene was a completely ad-libbed gag uh, by Marty Feldman. He had been actually 
shifting the hump back and forth for several days uh, with different cast members until they finally noticed it. Yeah. <laughs> and then because of that, they decided to add it into the script. Yeah. I love it. Um, but I mean, honestly, just in general, though, like if you go through just the cast alone, Gene Wilder, Peter Boyle, Marty Feldman, Madeline Kahn, Cloris Leach. I mean, I mean it's just Terry. Terry Gar. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's such an amazing, amazing cast. Uh, and like even like, you know, like Richard Hayden, all these people like they're they're so amazingly just wonderful in this movie. There's not a bad person in this at all. It, it just really, truly isn't. Like, Kenneth Mars just still cracks me up as Inspector <laughs> Kemp all the time. Yep. But, like, it's it's the perfect group of people all all that's just vibing on each other just flawlessly. And I think that you've never – there hasn't been a comedy that plays almost this perfect from start to finish. It doesn't feel like a single joke falls flat from start to finish in this film. Well, you read interviews with some of the cast as well. I mean, Gene Wilder has quoted a number of times that this was his favorite film, that out, out of every film he's made, Young Frankenstein was his favorite film that he ever made. Yeah. Uh, and Mel himself has even said, too, that, you know, when principal photography on the movie was was rapping, the cast was so upset that the production of this movie was over. And Mel included that Mel actually went back and started rewriting new scenes just so they could continue shooting. Yeah, and I, I think it's really fantastic that they kept wanting to keep taking the next step. But like honestly, though, too, like honestly, they had a difficult time even just making the film because you know Mel wanted this to be a black and white film. Gene wanted this to be a black and white film, and the studio was not having it. They were really anti against all of that, and it was just pushing and pushing and pushing to make sure that that did indeed happen. Um, yeah, which I'm really, really pleased that it did because I can't imagine this film in color. I, I think. It wouldn't have come across the same way at it all. It wouldn't have because it plays to, again, you know, I love the classic classic monsters so much from Universal. I, I You know, the the ones that we, we all know and love so, so much that I feel like they've just kind of been through the ringer and abused the last, like, several decades. They haven't figured out what to do with them. Um, this is just, it plays so perfectly. And it is such a great, not just comedy, but a love letter to these characters at the same time. Like they they look at the absurdity of it, but they never really ma- they don't make fun of the monster. They make fun no, of the situation. They make fun of the situation. Yeah, and I think that's really what it is. But they still have reverence for all this. I mean, they wouldn't have said, "Hey, let's get the original equipment from the 1930s film because it's still in the back lot." You know, to to be able to do something like that. I mean, the fact that they went and said, "Cool, let's go for it," is really just damn awesome. It's really yeah. really awesome. And I think and I think it speaks a lot, too, because I think taking a chance on it like that and and giving them the opportunity to do that, um, I think kind of opened up. I mean, Mel already had a successful career before Young Frankenstein. I mean, you look Blazing Saddles was before it. He had high anxiety, silent movie. Um, But, you know, taking the chance on Young Frankenstein really opened up possibilities to do bigger chances with other like history of the world and you know we we're going to mention these movies a lot because we're we're all huge mel brooks fans oh my god absolutely Um, yeah you know i mean and the man himself he was born in the 20s so i mean let's let's be realistic there's probably not much time left on this earth for mel and that's going to be one of those really heartbreaking ones for me when it happens but i will savor every moment we have left with mel and the fact that him and Carl still go and get ice cream 
Oh, Carl Reiner and him. I think Carl it's amazing. Reiner. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that, that they're still like, let's go for it. Yeah, that they keep that friendship alive is is fantastic. And you're right. We haven't gotten anything new from Mel in a while. He still does work. I mean, he still does voice acting work and, and things like that. He just hasn't written and directed anything. And you can kind of understand it again. The man's I think it is 90s. Yeah, he at is. this point, it's it's very difficult to do that at his at his age. But yeah, it's uh, he's a genius. All, he, he was definitely one of the best geniuses when it came to comedy. And it's. I, it, it, you're right. It's it's going to be a hard, hard moment when he's no longer with us. And I'm sure we'll probably do something huge. I know we already done a Mel Brooks spectacular, you know, uh, yeah. on Caffey Crew. <laughs> um, I think last year that was how we actually wrapped up our year. But still, it, it's just everything that he had worked on and has worked on and continues to kind of do things. It's just it's it's just wonderful. It's so much fun to see what he's capable of continuing to do. And it's I, I'm so just excited to know that these will all these films will last forever and ever. And I feel like regardless of how old they they are, they still continue to be fun. They still feel like they continue to be relevant. Um, and I still don't think anybody out there could ever match his wit when they created a lot of these films. So, yeah. Um, let's dive a little bit. I mean, obviously the, the movie is, you know, this is a horror podcast, family friendly horror podcast, which this definitely qualifies for because of the, because of the content that it is with Frankenstein and Frankenstein, Frankenstein and Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Um, but obviously huge comedic elements to it. Let's talk a little bit about what of our, if you had to give a top one or two moments from this film like like moments that just crack you up every time you see them would you be able to do that would you be able to narrow it down uh yes i can tell you one of my favorites because me and my wife quote this all the time it is okay. just when they're on the the ride towards the castle and you hear the wolf howl and terry uh, you know, and terry gar kind of ha has this look of fright and then she's like werewolf and then it's <laughs> i go right. i go just going there werewolf their wolf, their, wolf. their <laughs> castle, you know, and it's we use that all the time. No lie. Even like, you know, and honestly, we went to a wolf sanctuary and it was we said it probably like 40 times. <laughs> like, and I think anybody that was around us was probably ready to just punch us. But it was yeah, it's it, it's such a perfect joke. It's such it's so simple and dumb and just wonderful. But even this, though, another like couple of scenes like just honestly, I love the train sequence where. Uh, you know, he's leaving to, to head towards the castle and it's the goodbye with Madeline Kahn and yeah. it's just <laughs> not the hair, not the hair, not there. <laughs> it's like it's taffeta. It's yep. like, ah, uh, taffeta. No, no, it's taffeta, darling. You're you're ruining the dress, you know, <laughs> um, not the lips, not the lips, you know, <laughs> and then like it's him blowing the kiss to her and she's just like ducking out of the way of the kiss. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it, it's the scene is just so flawless. I love that. I love the whole thing. Um, but I, I could go on and on and just basically say the entire movie. But those were just some of my absolute favorites by far. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, uh, you know, there's two in particular. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording. But, uh, you know, uh, Gene Wilder and Peter Boyle with putting on the Ritz at the end. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those moments where I still remember the first time I saw this movie, the moment Peter Boyle, you know, sings putting on the Ritz, I, I, I lose it. I lost it. And I still very hearty laugh at that moment. 
Um, and the other scene is with um, Peter Boyle and Gene Wilder, or not Gene Wilder, uh, Gene Hackman. Yeah. Um, and the blind man and the soup bowl and no. lighting his thumb <laughs> on fire are just... I love the fact that there's so many moments about that too. And I love the fact that Gene Hack that was Gene Hackman's first ever foray into comedy. Uh, and he did it for free. Yeah. He did not get paid, nor was he credited for that role. Um, you know, so I, I just love the fact that, you know, he was friends with Gene Wilder. I think him and Gene Wilder were tennis partners. And he asked if if he could do it because he wanted to try getting into comedy. And that was that was it. Yeah. It was it was fantastic. It's 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 so it's just so much fun, uh, but you know, like I said, it's really funny. I, I will recommend to people too because before we we give this our rating, uh, to really definitely go and jump on the IMD page or just do some like web searches because there are some really great behind the scenes pictures and shots where you do see actually the actors in color and stuff like that and all in full costume. But you could just see. The, the love on all of their faces of making this film. You mentioned like, like already a lot of that, but it, there's there's so much about this film that you can see how much they thoroughly enjoyed being a part of this. And well, I there's think a, the, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, there's a there's a couple little tidbits I wanted to read off real quick. Sure. Um, before we we move on, because um, I did I read into this movie quite a bit after while I was watching it. Um. Uh, Gene Wilder would only make the film if Mel promised not to appear in it uh, because he usually appears in all his movies. But uh, Gene felt that Brooks's appearance would ruin the illusion. Uh, but Brooks is a part of the movie. He is he's made uh, off camera appearances as the howling wolf in the mm -hmm. scene that you mentioned that you like uh, Frederick's grandfather and the shrieking cat. So he does the voice of uh, Frankenstein of, of um, his grandfather as well. Mm -hmm. Um, what was the other one I want? Oh, there was two other ones. Oh, three other ones real quick. Uh, Aerosmith took a break from recording to see the movie. Uh, and apparently Steven Tyler wrote the band's hit walk this way the morning after seeing the movie inspired by Marty Feldman's first scene, the walk this way scene, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is amazing that there is an Aerosmith tie in to young Frankenstein. And it was it went on to become one of their biggest hits. So which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks got into only one fight during the movie's production, but it was a big one with Mel throwing a huge temper tantrum, yelling and raging, and eventually storming out of Gene's apartment. Uh, roughly 10 minutes later, Gene's phone rang. The caller was Mel, who had this to say. Who was that madman you had in your house? I could hear him yelling all the way over here. You should never let crazy people get into your house. Don't you know that? They could be dangerous. And that, <laughs> as Gene later put it, was Mel's way of apologizing. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, which I love because, again, it's one of my favorite scenes. Uh, Gene Hackman ad-libbed the blind man's parting line, I was going to make an espresso. Uh, the scene immediately fades to black because the crew erupted into fits of laughter, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is just, again, is a huge. It, it just shines such a light on how much fun these guys had making this movie. Yeah, uh, it's so wonderful. So, so wonderful. It, and again, I, you know, again, I, I think it's this is a great way to introduce kids, though, to characters like Frankenstein, though. I think it's a really good way because so much of it plays slapsticky. But it, there's so much, so many layers to it. So I think it's one of those things where it's like, hey, this is these are some of the classic monsters. This is one of the most classic monsters, and you get a good idea for it without it really feeling scary. But it still has that ominous feel to it. Like you know, I, I think it works incredibly, incredibly well where you can still play all those angles 
just perfectly and, and, and introduced them to, to kind of history and of not just comedy, but you know, Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein and his monster. And I think it's a wonderful yeah. way to do it. So last question before we give our rating favorite character from the film, <sighs> you monster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Igor. I, yeah. I, I, it's it's just, mine Ma- too. Marty Feldman cracks me up in every scene he's in. I love it. Abby um, normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, so good. I love it, it. It really is. And I, there's, there's so many, and honestly that we could just sit here and quote lines for an hour long <laughs> about how, like how perfect this is. And that was kind of one of the reasons I was like, you know what? Yeah. You and I can just easily handle this conversation. Cause I think we're not going to shut up. So, and so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So what do you give this one? A trick or treat? Oh, man, there's no question about it in my mind. I don't think Mel has made a bad movie. Um, even Dracula Dead and Loving It is one that I love. And, uh, you know, this one standing alone amongst all his other ones, it's an absolute treat. It's it's a movie that I will, as old as, it's, as old as it is and as old as it feels and as old as I get, I will never get tired of it. I, you know, I think you said it perfectly. It, it's It's getting a treat. It's... Hands down, when I want to watch comedy, uh, there's a thousand movies I could p- uh, pull from. This will always be in my top five, hands down. Um, I, I don't think there are many films that are made now that can ever top this as far as humor. Uh, because that was at the highlight of having some of the you know greatest comedic minds all working together. And it was just true, pure comedy. But it's also... At the same time, as I said, it's it's showing so much love for old material at the same time. It's never making fun of it. It's honoring it in the best ways that they can. So, yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. All right. Moving on to our next film, 1987, (laughs) The Monster Squad. Why don't you take us through the start of this one? I was excited when you wanted to add this one to the list of movies we were going to talk about, because this, as you mentioned before, is a is a great favorite of both of ours, as well as many of our friends. Uh, it's been, it's one of those ones that we've actually had f- mutual friends that who have never seen it. So we both got a little bit of joy out of introducing them to this movie. And then uh, really sad when a lot of them were like, it was okay. And I'm like, what <laughs> yeah. is wrong with you? But then I exactly. understand because when you watch this movie, it is dated. It is. You it's know, we, very dated. We talk about a lot of the other films and we're like, hey, does it hold up today? Does it hold up through this? We can tell you right off the bat, Monster Squad does not hold up at all. <laughs> it's it's one of those films, though, if you do do have reverence for it, uh, that it, it's still definitely is something that you have that nostalgia that keeps it alive. So, well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, when you talk about dated and how it feels dated to some people and not to others, you know, this was something when we talked about Legends and Labyrinth uh, back in chapter four, you know, we I had mentioned one of the reasons why Labyrinth didn't hold up to me was because it had been a legend. You mean legend? Legend. Sorry. Uh, Oh, yeah. Labyrinth held up. Um, Well, in the comparison, why legend held up or legend didn't hold up, but Labyrinth did is because, you know, Labyrinth was a movie that I constantly revisited. I keep watching. So it's still kind of fresh in my head, whereas legend was one I hadn't seen in probably like 20 years. So it absolutely didn't hold up. So for me, you know, rewatching Monster Squad, it's a movie that holds up because but it's only because I constantly revisit it. It's a movie I watch at least once a year. Whereas, you know, for somebody who has never seen it before or has been a long time since they've seen it, I can definitely see how the movie does not hold up one bit to them. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I do absolutely understand and get that completely. And again, this is kind of thought of as kind of like the a spiritual success, like, you know, successor to Goonies. I guess is the best way to put it is Goonies is that perfect kids in peril film. And originally I was thinking, hey, let's do Goonies together and Monster Squad because that's a perfect combination. But I was like, you know what? Goonies falls more into classic adventure. This is very yeah. much in the vein of Halloween. Like you, Goonies came out in 1985, Monster Squad two years later. You can definitely tell that this feels like it was created off of the backbone of what Goonies was. I mean, it very much is. You have this group of kids kind of going through their adventure, they dealing with all of these classic monsters. And I think this is one of the last times we have seen all of these classic monsters together on screen in a kind of in a live action in a live action serious manner yeah uh because they do treat the the monsters fairly seriously in this i mean and it's they did a great job updating quite a few of them too i mean you know we have the mummy we have frankenstein's monster we have dracula we have the wolfman and the creature from the black lagoon um which is awesome to see all of these characters all together this is a film i would love to see an update to because really it's they actually did not hold back for a kid's movie. You know, it's a PG-13 film um, because they were not afraid of blowing people up like it. It got. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and it wasn't like, hey, eh, there's, there's this like, hey, there's a random limb over here. It, there was blood. <laughs> they were not yeah. afraid of like having some serious gore. And they, they showed it and they utilized it and they weren't afraid to do it. I mean, it's still mild and still on the lighter side. Uh, but yeah, they they went for it. They did absolutely go for it, which was cool to see. Um, but also, though, I think all the updates to the monsters though look really just beautifully done. Like the creature from the Black Lagoon, especially. Oh, looks, creature looks amazing. Yeah, creature looks great, and the mummy looks fantastic too. And it's also one of the few werewolves that I also still really really like as well. So, yeah, um, you know, it, 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 you know, when you look at the cast as well, I mean, unfortunately, there's actually been a, a number of the cast who have we've since lost. Um, I mean, scary German guy was I mean, he was already older. So, I mean, he passed away back in 2012. Um, but uh, unbeknownst to uh, fans of the to some fans of the movie, uh, Horace, a.k.a. Fat Kid, uh, passed away relatively young. He was only 22. Yeah. Yeah. When he passed away back in like 1997, and I think it was from pneumonia. I could be wrong. About I that. believe you're correct. Uh, yeah, he was. I do remember he was very young when he passed away, uh, which is a shame. That absolute shame, though. But yeah, it's um, this is definitely one of those films, though. I, I think, in all honesty, it's it's really overlooked a lot of times. A lot of people kind of this it just never appeared on the radar, or it just passed right over them. But I think there's so so much to this though still i mean i i can definitely say some of the there's still just like goonies there's that kind of fat shaming angle and stuff like that that was yeah. disappointing to, to see when you go back into stuff from the 80s but unfortunately that was the 80s it's just kind of where we were um in our time capsule at that point in time of when you go back to it and look at that and you're like ooh, we could have done that better uh but you know <laughs> we you know like the same thing can be said about things like the karate kid and all these other things doesn't mean they're not still classic films, but there's those pieces that you have to kind of look at. You know, when people talk about things like Stranger Things, you know, this is kind of Stranger Things kind of looks back at things like the Monster Squad and Goonies because that's where it's got its DNA from. It was that it was that 80s kids in peril trope 
that really was just there. Like you look at ET, all these things. It was just nope. They they these kids believe that they can take on these horrible, horrific things. And it I love the fact that it plays. And I kind of am excited for when like they get to like nineteen if they get to nineteen eighty seven in uh, you know, things like you know, Stranger Things in its final seasons, and they can actually look at like Monster Squad and kind of be like, hey, did they just steal this from our lives or something like that? And kind of flip, <laughs> flip it would be really kind of funny to see uh, if they got a chance to talk about stuff like that. So it'd be really yeah. cool to see if they get a chance to play. But yeah, I know. I, I, you know, I for you, what I, you know, I have, this is a big question for you. What was maybe one of your favorite scenes in this film? Um. Oh wow, that is a tough call. Um. You know, it's. There's a, there's a couple that, I mean, but I think the one that I really have to, I think the one that kind of sticks out in my head the most, um, is the final confrontation with the mummy, uh, when, when they're all in the Jeep and, you know, the mummy is hanging on and, you know, they take the arrow and they take, you know, they take part of his, uh, his wrappings and they tie it to the arrow and it sticks to a tree because, and it's not because it's not just the whole, you know, oh, he's going to take it and shoot it to a tree. And then like, yeah, I did that. Like, there's even a moment with that actor, with Eugene, not Eugene. Um, uh, oh, God, what is that character's name? Um, Which one? Rudy. Rudy. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. When Rudy takes the bow and arrow and he shoots the arrow and it sticks to the tree. Like, you know, certain movies would just been like, yeah, that was supposed to happen. But, you know, you, you even get the reaction from the kit from Rudy where he's just like, did I just do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you see everything play out the way it does with the mummy unwrapping and then being nothing but a skull. And it's the final moment you see of the mummy. Um, that to me, I don't know why that sticks out, but that sticks out as one of my favorite moments from the movie. Yeah. Um, so what about you? I honestly, I got to say, I love that really ridiculous, cheesy 80s montage when they're just prepping for the fight. Rock until you drop. Yeah. Yep. I, I I honestly will still go back and listen to that song. I'm not gonna. I will do. I'm not gonna lie. I know it's it's cheesy as it can get, but man, I thoroughly love that song. And I remember though too, like being a kid and watching that, just thinking Rudy was the coolest person in the universe. Uh, But (laughs) again, the sad things that we admit from the from when we're growing up in the 80s. But yeah, no, I'm I'm not gonna lie. A good '80s montage, man. It gets me in the feels every time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. That's a good song. Like, I think even rewatching the movie recently, before um, when we were prepping for this recording, I think I was singing along to that song as uh as we were recording. Yeah, yeah, I, or I, as I was watching. It's 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 fun. Yeah, definitely. I, I you know it's funny too. There's actually there is an alternate version of the film. Um, so there is a TV print that's shown as well. Uh, and I think it's commonly it was on TNT. Uh, it's got about an additional four or five minutes, I think, of, of footage. And I can just run through them real quick because I think it's only like six scenes. Yeah, so, yeah. so the opening scene immediately following the opening title, one of Van Helsing's men fights off one of the vampire women and accidentally pulls the stake out of Dracula's chest, resurrecting the Count. Uh, so that's how he actually comes back. Uh, so, so an extended comedy routine scene between the two pilots flying Dracula and uh, Frankenstein's coffin in the World War II bomber plane. So it's just an extended sequence. Uh, so a scene between Phoebe and her mother in the kitchen. Uh, the mother tells Phoebe to go to watch her favorite TV show. Uh, Phoebe says uh, her PTA won't let her on the gr- uh, grounds. It contains too much sex. 
which leads the uh, the mother to retort under her breath, "We could use a little sex in this house." So, <laughs> because obviously, <laughs> well, it's because you have the mom and uh, you know the dad getting divorced. So yeah. that's yeah. So it's obviously Phoebe is this little kid basically mimicking her mom. So, um, uh, you- oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, you're fine. No, I was just going to say, you know, it, it's interesting going back real quick to the um, uh, to the tie in that you made with Goonies, because there actually is a tie in to Goonies, oh, uh, like a very direct tie in to Goonies. Oh, and I can't that remember the, the mom is the same actress. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's very, very true. Mary Ellen Trainer is the mom from Goonies. Yeah, that's correct. I almost forgot. I, me, too. I just thought about that. <laughs> So, all right. So the last couple of scenes here, there's an extended scene where the boys are discussing whether or not they know uh, what a virgin is, leading them to ask, uh, asking Rudy if he knows any. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> number uh, so scene five, when the boys in Frankenstein go to the mansion to retrieve the amulet, there is an additional scene uh, showing them approaching the house where Horace expresses his fears of the situation. And then the last sequence that was cut was a scene of Rudy putting his arm around Patrick's sister to her disgust. As they observe the carnage following the movie's finale. So uh, because obviously we see Rudy constantly pining after Patrick's sister the entire film. So who's never given a name by correct. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) Um, So it's just a couple scenes, but it said there's not much there. But like I said, this is our second film that we're talking about that actually had an extended edition or an alternate take uh, takes that we have not seen very commonly. So but I will say that one of the sequences that I really give a lot of credit for is that opening scene in the film though too with van helsing i think they did a really cool job with too and i I would love to see that expanded upon because it had such a great like raiders of the lost ark kind of feel to it and i would have loved to have seen more of that so yeah but i think expanding on that kind of ruins the ending of the movie a little bit i mean when when it just goes all of us suddenly to black to leave you to wonder what the hell happened only to see van helsing actually come out of the portal at the end to drag dracula back in i think it would have given that away a little bit if you would have seen that's where van helsing ended up oh yeah no i think i mean more of like i would love to have seen if like if this movie's ever they said hey let's remake the monster squad oh okay like i would love to see them maybe like give us a little bit more you know uh of of some of that stuff because again it just was had such a great adventure feel to it which was i think what was so unique so yeah yeah i think it's interesting too uh, you know reading some of the tidbits of the movie that liam neeson was actually considered for the role of dracula okay i could see that i could definitely see i could see it um um, but i mean even still though i think uh uh duncan i i can't pronounce his last name um, Redgar, I think maybe is it. I think he still did a great job. I think yeah. all the casting that they did for these for these monsters, they did a great job. And not only that, but I think you know, even in rewatching the movie, the kids, I think were, you know, they always say that the toughest people to work with with in Hollywood are kids and pets. Yeah. Um, you know, and this isn't the first movie we've talked about with kid actors. This, um, I think the kids actually did a relatively good job you know, with what they were given. I think the only one that maybe struggled a little bit was um, the kid actor that played Eugene. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I think it was Michael Festino, I think is is the actor's name. Who, oddly enough, I share a birthday with. <laughs> and I don't mean month and day. I mean month, day, and year. Oh, wow. I, I share an exact birthday with. That's pretty funny. But yeah, no, it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's you always get that that 
that stuff that you hear about with all this. But yeah, I, I generally think though it's it's still such a fun dumb movie. Like, and again, I will f- definitely phrase it is a dumb movie. I, I, it is. I actively admit that this is a dumb movie. One of the other ones I was considering what we could throw in this was the old My Pet Monster film. But I don't know if I want to do that to myself. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, man. I think we have a film for next year. <laughs> for next season. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've got a couple in my brain already for next season when we do this again. Because I, I will say we are doing this again. Oh, yeah. Because um, this has been a ton of fun. This has been one of my favorite shows to do. But, um, you know, all right. Last big question for you for the Monster Squad. Who is your absolute favorite monster in this? Um. Ooh, another good question. Um, if uh, are we talking now or when I was younger watching the movie? Hey, both. You know what? Uh, when I was younger, actually, it's the same. It's the same now. Wolfman. I, I think the version of Wolfman is really well done. Um, and I, I, I think it's still one of my favorite characters from uh, from this film. Not to mention the fact that Wolfman got us the involvement of Wolfman got us one of the most quoted lines yeah. from this movie. Uh, in fact, it's a line that I have on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and that is Wolfman's got nards. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it to you as well, too. I think for me, visually, I would say the creature, but we don't get to see him too, too often in the film. But I will say uh, as a kid, I, I was kind of terrified uh, from the Wolfman in this. Like he was, they played that really seriously. They played him incredibly seriously, especially right before he was about to transform all that stuff. Like there was panic and then he gets shot a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then later blown up. I mean, like he does not go out in a light way. Like there's a lot of tragedy that befalls the Wolfman in this film. Um, but I will say, I think honestly, yeah, he, he did scare me quite a bit growing up and I think they really did a great job with him. Well, and I, you know, even with that character too, there's there's a couple issues that I have with the way the movie played out um, when it came to his character. Well, not issues, but uh, things that I noticed. One, you know, when they're talking to to Rudy and trying to induct him into the Monster Squad, and they're trying to figure out the two ways to kill a werewolf, uh, Silver Bullet obviously being the other one, and then they say he's wrong and yeah. try and come up with a second reason. And one of the ones that Sean says is falling out a window onto a bomb. And what happens <laughs> to the Wolfman is he gets pushed out a window with dynamite in his belt. Yeah. Um, but the, the one thing as you know, when you're a kid and you're watching, you don't really think about it because it's not any knowledge that you know of, but I'm sorry. You're not making silver bullets out of melting silver forks. Yeah, there's no gunpowder. Like there was, there was nothing that would have fired those things. They would have just sat in a gun. But hey, you know what? Kids movie. <laughs> it's a movie. It's Kids a movie. movie. Kids movie. Exactly. It's all good. But yeah, no, they did an awesome job, though. I mean, it's uh oh, and uh, the creature in this they refer to is the Gilman, G I L L M A N. So, uh, but yeah, uh, no, I, I I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly just just adore this film. <laughs> so uh my my question to you now um as we as we get closer to wrapping up with this uh, before we give it our review uh you know obviously we got frank we got dracula wolfman mummy and creature had they ever made a sequel to this where they had to stop new monsters are there any other monsters you could think of that they could have brought in because yes. invisible invisible man is the only one i could think of uh i could think of three uh um, okay actually take that back four uh, I would I would have actually had the Bride of Frankenstein come in as kind of the linchpin, and, and where okay. they find a way to bring Frankenstein back because that would be kind of cool. Is if you have Van Helsing come back in, come back with Frank, 
uh, and then have the bride there. That would be kind of neat. Uh, but then I would do Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, Jekyll I think, and Hyde. Okay. I think that would be a really good kind of um, next stand in. Invisible Man, definitely. And then I would also do the Phantom of the Opera. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's another one too. Yeah. So I think there's you have a lot of options for these classics that you can pull back from. All from the same studio house too, which is great. It makes that a lot easier for them to do that with. So. Um, so do you want to hear a funny story of something that Monster Squad taught me? Um, I remember playing, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember playing Castlevania as a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until a later viewing of monster squad that I realized, uh, that Alucard is Dracula backwards. Ah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It was monster squad that taught me that (laughs) (laughs) when he rearranges, when he rearranges the, uh, the letters. Yeah. So, oh, that's pretty funny. All right. But yeah, no, it's, uh, all right. How do you give this a rating now? Oh man, um, you know we we talk about we we talk about we use the term cult movies, and you know a lot of times people use that term very loosely. I've heard people refer to we'll use it as again as just another example. Um, we we've heard people refer to Goonies as a cult movie, um, and I, it's not. It to me, it's it. You know, when you have a movie like Goonies that is extremely popular and is still used to this day in pop culture, you know, TV shows like um, like Stranger Things and the Goldbergs are making references to it. That's not a cult film. Monster Squad to me is a cult film. Absolutely, it's a movie. It's a movie that. There's only a certain number of population that know it and love it. There are still new people getting introduced to it every day. You either love it or you hate it. And you very, very rarely hear anybody reference it when it comes to pop culture. Like Goldbergs have never done it. Stranger Things has never. I can't think of anybody who's ever referenced the Monster Squad when it comes to pop culture. To me, that is a cult film. Yeah. Monster Squad is a cult film. Um, and it is a cult film that I have always loved and probably will forever love. It is an absolute treat. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think this is it's it's definitely a treat. I think for people that are maybe new to it, may definitely find this is a bit of a trick. But I think you said it perfectly though. It is this is a, the best definition of a cult film I can think of. Uh and it's one of those ones I think, unless you were, you know, like really into kind of like horror-y kind of stuff in the early 80s. Uh, and well, early to late 80s, maybe early 90s too. This movie probably passed you right on by because there were so many major things that were hitting yeah. shortly after this that really st- stole the limelight. And probably one that we'll talk about next year that kind of is on the verge. But because of some of the ones we've talked about, I'm sure we're going to talk Lost Boys next year because that's another one that kind of falls perfectly in line with one of these. So I, I think there's a lot of great opportunity for us to continue to unpack a lot of these things. But we'll, we'll definitely be bringing up more cult films as we go along the road. But I would definitely say out of all the ones we've spoken about so far, Monster Squad, probably one of the best cult films for Halloween season. So I just thought of the chapter and the movie to pair with the Lost Boys. No. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, that's going to happen. Right? That's going to happen. Yeah, I've got a couple other ones (laughs) up my sleeve that we'll we'll announce at a later date. But uh, I've I've got some I've got some deep cuts that we're going to bring back. So that's going to be fun. All right. Well, like I said, um, why don't we get out of here? And, you know, again, a good reminder 
definitely wait for that video to come out in just a couple days where you'll see uh, the brand new drink on how to make the Frau Bluka. <laughs> I want. I wish I knew how to horse Winnie. I know, me too. Uh, but definitely make sure to check that drink out. Uh, like I said, it's it, again not for the faint of heart. That is a definitely drink responsibly drink. Um, yeah, absolutely, and, and don't put near open flame. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a good drink, though. I do thoroughly like it, especially if you're a person that likes Manhattan's. It's right up your alley. Uh, it's somewhere in between a Manhattan and a Sazerac. But also, we got to say before we get out of here, a big special thanks to our good friends. Taylor and Sarah and the rest of the band from This Way to the Egress. Make sure to check out their stuff at This Way to the Egress. That's spelled E-G-R-E-S-S dot com. Make sure to check out when they're touring and check out their merch pages. Also head over to the Patreon. Give them a couple bucks and get to follow along with uh, exclusive new stuff that's coming out through the month of October. In addition to things that, that later appear down the road, uh, they've got some phenomenal stuff. We thank them each and every episode for the music that you get to hear on this podcast. So definitely show your support. As always, you can find me also at the Next Level Network through the Caffeine Crewcast and Pods. And as always, DC Primetime along with Ben, who I will now turn it over to. I think you've covered pretty much everything. Uh, the next level network.com, facebook.com slash the next level network and the Facebook page. Well, not the Facebook page, uh, the website for this podcast. Uh, if you don't already know it, the next level network.com slash still afraid. But I think you covered pretty much everything else. Yeah, we are down to the final couple that are going to be on their way out the door. Uh, I forget which chapter this is, but yeah, we've got a lot of really fun things still right around the corner. So, we've broken the halfway point at this point. We yeah. have, so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>